Happy America Day, knaves, knights, and listeners alike, because it's the 4th of July. That's right, this is when we celebrate as Americans our independence from the Germans and other people that would threaten our freedom. It was the Russians in the 80s, it was the Germans in the 40s and 20s, and it was the... Happy America Day, everybody! And nothing says independence more than talking to an independent game designer. Because we're talking to Sir Wayney, independent game designer Ben Canellis today. And you know what? There is no victory without struggle. And we're going to talk to Ben about how he got his nuts kicked really hard. And there's nothing more American than getting your nuts kicked, except maybe some cooking, some cruel meat, and uh, flags! Enjoy your fireworks, everybody! I'm Alan Girding, and this is the Tuesday Night Podcast, episode 184. This is the only podcast in the entire world that is about the stories we make while playing the games we love on, around, and under the gaming table. And today we have a very special story, maybe even a heartbreaking one. Oh man. In fact, I may entitle this episode The Blood Feud Fiasco. Oh my goodness, what? Because with me, I have a night. Sir Weenie. How's it going, Sir Weenie? I have been better. Wow. I'm so sorry <laughs> to hear that. I am glad to have you on the show. I want you to be able to share your story on this episode because some stories aren't sweet. They're sour. What am I talking about? Let's go back to the beginning when you started designing Nightfalls. Now, that was the original title of this game you had been working on. Am I correct? Oh, yeah. How much backstory do you want? Let's go all the way back to inspiration when you decided, I want to do this. Because here's the thing. You make games on your own, and then you peddle these games at conventions to publishers hoping they'll publish them. And you already have Bitten, Red Scare, and The Three Laws of Robotics. But what we're talking about today is we're talking about Blood Feud, which is the first mega board game. Is that what they're calling it? Yes, that's what they're calling it. Uh, who's they? So if I ever refer to Chris, he is the owner of Everything Epic Games. And so he's Everything the one. Everything Epic Games. Name one other game that people would know from Everything Epic Games. They did the Rambo game. They did the Big Trouble in Little China game. They did Comb Award. So they like games that have uh, a license. Yeah, license and big Ameritrashy type big box experiences. So let's go to the story then, shall we? You ready to dive into our time traveling machine and take us all the way back to when you started designing Blood Feud, originally called Nightfalls. Inspiration, sir. What inspired you? The shut up and sit down video that they did of Watch the Skies was my first introduction to what a mega game could be and what a mega game, mega game was. It's these big day long experiences with upwards of 100 players. And I was like, oh, I have got to get myself to one of those. Uh, luckily, I'm close enough to Cleveland that there was at the time a Cleveland mega game council and they started running mega games. and. I went and attended these events, and they blew my mind. It was so much fun. It was an entirely different genre of game for me to experience. And so while this is salt in the wound a little bit, because this is going to come full circle, you saw the Shut Up and Sit Down episode all about the mega game experience. And this story is going to end with the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast review. Well, it gets even deeper to the Shut Up and Sit Down tie-in, because then they reported on a mega game that they had played called Bring Them Home, where it's basically an astronaut gets lost out in space, and it was done in a theater. I can't remember if it was Quinn's or Paul, 
was selected to be the astronaut and they climbed through a little tunnel and they were completely sequestered away from the rest of the game that was going around where the mega game was about the different factions competing to bring that astronaut home. When they were talking about it, they said, mega games are great and gaming is great and you should bring whatever talents you have to mega games and gaming in general. And I thought to myself, well, what can I bring to a mega game? It's really hard to get them organized. It's such high player counts and you need so many people to run it. And I was like, well, what I excel at is doing board game design. So why don't I take a board game spin at making a mega game? But this was after you successfully went to a mega game. Yeah, I had been playing mega games. Then the Cleveland Mega Game Council sort of disbanded and I was now in a mega game black hole. Like there was nothing around me anywhere. It sort of came into my head like, well, if I want to play more mega games, I'm going to have to grow the community to the point that people want to run them and support them. And when Shut Up and Sit Down was talking about, like, bring your own talents to mega gaming, and I thought, well, I can do this. I can make a board game version of a mega game. You're saying you saw the Shut Up and Sit Down episode about mega games. This inspired you to go. I have got to go. This is an amazing opportunity. You go to the mega game, you had an amazing time. But then later on, they came out with a different episode of their show, Shut Up and Sit Down. In that episode, here's some pro tips on how to really handle mega games. Pro tip, bring what you're really good at. You think I'm really good at game design. That's what I spend all of my free time doing, basically, when I'm not a plot spoiler, you're an architect. Am I wrong in saying that? That is correct. Yes. So when I'm not doing architecture, I'm designing games. Woo! So then when the Cleveland Mega Game connection, whatever it's called, they disperse that you thought, oh no, here's a gap that needs to be filled. What happens if you live in an area where there's no access to mega games? What do you do then? Because now you're in that boat after getting the juice and now you're hooked on mega games because it was so fun and you decide, well, I'm going to design a board game version of a mega game. That's exactly how it played out. <laughs> okay, tell me the story of the first mega game you went into. So the first mega game I attended was called A Good Understanding. It was a Cold War game where everyone was representing countries that were on the brink of entering into nuclear war. And it was just an electric experience. I had a couple of friends with me. We were representing Egypt. We were running around doing our assigned tasks and just having a great time. There's nothing like playing in a mega game. You're running around, you're having conversations with so many different people. You have different pieces of information. You never have perfect information about what's happening. You basically have to put together the story after everything is resolved at the end and just talk to other people and find out what they were experiencing. It was it was a gaming experience that had legs beyond the game. After the game was over, I was like, I just want to talk about what happened in the game. I remember you coming over to our Tuesday night gathering and you and Michelle, which was one of our mutual friends that went to the mega game as well, were talking on and on and on about this and actually recruited some friends to come to the next mega game that was happening. Yeah, it was amazing. You talked about how you had a specific task when you were representing Egypt. Do you remember what your job was in this Cold War themed mega game? Yeah, I was the military commander. Most mega games, they came from blind map games where a player has information about a board state and it's up to them to relay that information to the rest of their team. In this game, I was the military commander. It was up to me to move our units about dealing with humanitarian crises and fighting off the other world powers. So you were the map guy. I was map guy. And you had dudes on a map. Is this a la Risk style, where you go into some room and there's this world map with little dudes on it. Dudes and tanks, exactly. Dudes on a map. So you had access to dudes on the map and no one else did. So you just had to convey to them, hey teammates, we got tons of tanks along the border. What are we going to do? Exactly. And, and oh, there's a brewing humanitarian crisis to the south, but it looks like Russia's pushing in and they've got nuclear capabilities to the north. All sorts of things. So that Michelle could be the one in the United Nations discussing where they can send the peacekeepers and what they can do in the United Nations. We had Ryan Kapler, who was managing our economy. 
think we were just a three-man team that day. Well, let's break that down really quick, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds. So as efficiently as we can, tell me, Michelle's job as a UN representative, what did she have to do? I am hazier on those details because that was not my gaming experience, but she was sitting in a room on a council, and she wasn't always on the council. People would rotate in and out if you weren't one of the major nation states, and they would move the peacekeeping forces that the UN had access to around on the map. It didn't have a huge amount of game effect, but it did give the newspapers, because there were players writing up news stories, juicy information in order to spin in that direction. Wait, wait, so there's even like newspaper characters going on where they report news to everyone worldwide or something like that? Yeah, it's mind-blowing. There there was two two-person teams that were running newspapers, and one was... So they weren't even nations. This is like, they weren't all even of nations. us are nations, but then we have two other teams that are news teams, like you've got CNN and Fox. There was one group that was doing pro-America propaganda, and the other group was doing pro-Russia propaganda. And they would release a newspaper every hour, and they would print it out. And so that's how you would find out about all the weird things that were happening. Would they literally print it out? Would they literally be yeah. pounding away on a... Wow. Yeah, they would. it was amazing. It, like I said, it was amazing. Incredible. Name some other mega games that you've attended. Um, so I've done Sundered Seas. I did Kaiju Crisis. Uh, and in fact, in that game, I was playing as one of the Kaiju. So that was my role was to be a Kaiju. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so this just adds a lot of weight to the impact of when the Cleveland Mega Game Collective dispersed because now there's this void in your heart. And inspired by the Mega Games, but also the shut up and sit down about bring what you know, you decide, I need to fill this gap somehow. So you start working on your game with the working title, Nightfalls. What was that like? Because you've been working on this game for years. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, years, years at this point. I mean, it's hard. Uh, you have to figure out what you think the market will bear when you are not the person running the event. The magic of mega games is that you can do a lot of things improvised, but that requires one moderator for every six to 10 players. I learned that you don't start getting that breakdown of information between players and teams until you get to around at least 10 players. I didn't want to push the moderator count too high, especially because a mega game is, it's like a good RPG session. It's highly dependent on who is running the game. And you can have a great dungeon master for a great RPG session. Or if you have a bad dungeon master, you're not going to enjoy yourself. So I would say that goes for Blood on the Clock Tower, but that's another story altogether. Because with Blood on the Clock Tower, you have a host and your game experience is totally reliant on your host. But with a mega game, you're looking at about 10 hosts with 100 players. So how do you resolve that with designing a mega game for the home? What I did was I took a lot of the host duties away from the host and made them into board game mechanics that the players would resolve by themselves. Because if this is going to be many players' introduction to at least the idea of mega games, I don't want them to get soured by it by having a poor hosting experience. And plus, a lot of people get nervous about just dungeon mastering for four or five friends. I can't imagine getting four people together to dungeon master for 30 to 40 people just because the box says I could do so. I wanted to make this as easy to pick up, to learn, to teach, and play as possible. So a lot of the improvisation, unfortunately, was one of the first things to go. But it maintained that frenetic energy that you get from having so many players doing different things at the same time and having to communicate exactly what their intent is and what's going to be happening. I studied many of the mega games that are out there and I sort of broke it down into four of the most common types of sub games or stations that people are running. And I put board game mechanics to each of those stations, made them each play very differently so that players would hopefully find one of the stations that they enjoyed and then teeth them together as well as possible so that whatever players were doing in one station was having large effects to players in other stations. And so you would have to communicate with your other players and then put in rules so that you couldn't just walk over to their station to do those things. Because a big problem is quarterbacking. You don't want one super player walking around and telling everyone exactly what to do because it's a big complaint about a lot of cooperative games 
is if you get the veteran player who's seen it all, comes into the game smoking his or her cigar and says, listen, kid, you're new. I've seen it all. This is exactly what you're going to do. And I'm going to run this whole damn game. Your job is just to do exactly what I tell you. You don't want that. So everyone has to have their own role as independently as possible. And they have to work together as a team. Yeah. Plus, a lot of the juice from Mega Games comes from those blind map situations where it's your word and they have to trust what you have to say about what's going on in order to make the right decisions for themselves. I I wanted to make sure to preserve that feeling. What are the different stations in uh, Blood Feud? Uh, Yeah, there's there's the council. On the same side of the room, there's also the marketplace. So if you like haggling, you're spending assets for better resources and you can level your teammates up and then on the far side of the room is the cityscape which is sort of an area control game that's the literal dudes on a map moving people around and trying to control territory the other station on that side is where you issue orders to them so you're telling those dudes on a map what to do are they fighting are they defending an area are they trying to to gather resources there or recruit more units those are the four stations that sort of teeth together got it so from my point of view i've seen all of these radical changes throughout time and i remember one radical change was the amount of time and effort you put into the components using I shouldn't do this right now because I don't want to interrupt the story. Sponsors, yay! Thank you for sponsoring us. Send us free stuff for money. And we'll talk about your stuff. But only if we like it. <laughs> Use the Game Crafter for a shit ton of components. Dude, this game has so much because... When you have a character, you actually wear a lanyard around your neck. And I'm not sure if that's in Blood Feud, but that's the way you had it in Nightfalls, the prototype version before a publisher picked it up, before everything Epic Games. And then each of the edicts had cards. You also had the map tiles. You had the dudes that went on the map. There was a shit ton of components, and it looked gorgeous. Thank you. No problem. The amount of time and work that you put into it is incredible. And I'm not just talking about the game design, because that's phenomenal too. But I'm also talking about all the artistic work you put into it was just, it was amazing. I haven't seen Blood Feud yet, because I know it's not published yet. The reason, What is it? August Kickstarter is the plan? Uh, that's the plan. I mean, Chris is still running with the Game Crafter prototype that I made. Oh, so when Quinz and Matt played this at the UK Game Expo, they were playing Nightfalls with the Game Crafter Edition. Yeah, and it's funny because, so they're playing Nightfalls, which was sort of a gothic horror theming to it. And the version they were playing was when we were courting White Wolf to get the Vampire the Masquerade license, Chris is like, what can you put together for me just to show him what we could do? And I said, okay, I'll just change a bunch of the names on the cards and leave it at that. And so when they were talking about the theme being threadbare, it's because we haven't even updated the game to... To represent yeah. Vampire the Masquerade. <laughs> this, they're still playing a very prototype game. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We're going to learn that Shut Up and Sit Down, take a huge dump on your game, and that's coming up. But did they ever complain about the beauty of the components? Did they ever say, this game looks ugly? Was that anything they said? No, no, no. I got everything through the Game Crafter, and I've gotten many people say how beautiful it is. The Game Crafter has such a wide and varied list of components that you can add to your games. Basically, anything that I needed or wanted, I could put into it. I've been very pleased with the Game Crafter's prototypes. Shield enough, sir. We appreciate it. The UK Game Expo... Matt Lees, Quentin Smith went ahead and they played this. And then on their podcast, they tore it apart. Yeah. Do you want some table setting for that whole thing? Sure. Let's hear it. I knew they were going to play it before the UK Games Expo. Chris told me, hey, the Shut Up and Sit Down guys contacted him and were interested in playing. So I'm going to run a demo for them. I was over the moon because I had been published a couple of times before and I had sort of set a secret goal for myself, like, hey, you know, it would be great. I would love, just love to have the Shut Up and Sit Down guys talk about one of my games in whatever format that would take. And I I don't know. Especially this one, because they so inspired this one. 
I felt like things were lining up and I was so excited. I was like, oh, maybe they'll love it. And then they'll ask me to come out to Shucks and I'll run it there. Like, I, I, <laughs> I was getting ahead of myself, I know. But like, I was just so excited. I was like, I have been receiving so much positive feedback about the game that I could not, I could not fathom a crash and burn of this level. I mean, it just. You were thinking worst case scenario, they don't talk about it at all. Is what I'm imagining. Yeah, or or I was even prepared for them saying like, oh, there's aspects of the game that don't work. And I would be like, cool, I can work on that. I can make it the best version of, of it, it itself as it can be. It was funny, I was talking to Chris before that. And, you know, we've been working on all this stuff to bring it up to the Vampire the Masquerade license with specific clans to add extra flavor to it. And Chris is like, what do you think we should run? I said, run the most vanilla version of the game as possible because I don't want something that we haven't put fully through the paces to break it and for them to have something weird and unseen happen. Right. You just want a tried and true basic version <laughs> that is not broken instead of risking it for the biscuit. Yeah. You want to make sure, let's just keep it safe, stay in our lane, and not try to do something flashy that has yet to be play tested thoroughly for these individuals. Right. Makes sense. And it didn't work. <laughs> Are you ready to listen once more to the Shut Up and Sit Down review. Oh, I've listened to it so many times. It's my new favorite. Really? Yes. Oh my goodness. I have to admit, when I hear bad review of one of our games, I usually just listen to it once. Just once. But you are just pushing that sore tooth. But to be fair, I think I understand why you would, because they say a lot and there's a lot to break down from what they said. And because your game isn't even published yet, there's a lot of lessons perhaps to learn and to adapt to. Is that one of the reasons why you listen to it so many times? Uh, It was so shocking to me that it didn't feel real the first time I heard it. And man, it's my new favorite way to excoriate myself. I, I have literally lost sleep just laying in bed, ruminating on it and just not sleeping because I it just plays through my head. Like it's, I, nothing, oh boy, nothing in. <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing. Uh, it's, Whether it's a defense mechanism or not, yeah, it's a good one. Nothing has affected me to this level in a long time. And it's just something that I was not expecting. And I just keep playing it over and over and over again. And I know how first world problem that sounds. And I know how silly, you know, this may seem to other people, but like, this was years of my life. And I was so excited for this project and so excited that the people who inspired me to do it, were going to take a look at it and for them to hate it so much. Really, I felt like I was out to see you and I lost my rudder. Like I felt directionless and, and to a large point, you know, still do in many ways. Like I'm still, I'm still trying to pick up the pieces and recover from, from what happened. And Chris is full bore ahead and we're going to make this the best game we can. But man, like did this really shake me? Yeah. Yeah. Well, at the time of this recording, when you and I are talking right now in the present, their episode, episode 97, entitled Meeting Your Shadow Self, that was just a week ago now? Week and a half, maybe. Now, is it picking the scab too much if we play it again? No, because I played it for myself right before we started recording. <laughs> I've heard it many a times, Alan. Here we go. Okay, right, so we played a a game that we kind of want to warn people away a little bit, unless it certainly undergoes like serious, serious renovation. Yeah. We were so excited about this because we love mega games. Mega games are amazing. And recently, a company started talking about a game called Vampire the Masquerade Blood Fuse. This is being pitched as the world's first boxed 
product mega game. It looks like a board game, but you take it home, mm-hmm. and then it's but it's a mega game, and you. It's a mega it. game. You can with the materials you need to play it at home yep. uh, with your friends. And you know, mega games are something that we've been talked about a lot. And we, I think we, it's, it's you know, for people who follow our work for a long time, they know it's something that's very close to our heart. So there's a lot of people out there who really want to try a mega game. And if you don't live near to a city or you don't feel confident enough to go into a room with hundreds of people you don't know, the idea of being able to buy a box product that you can play with 15, 30 friends is really quite exciting. Also, the key thing is, me and Quinns, completely by chance, well, not chance, we're just both nerds, <laughs> both when we were teenagers had quite a bit of fun playing the Vampire the Masquerade role-playing game. We were kind of like, yeah, actually, I think we're both fans of Vampire the Masquerade yep. and the world. And we're both fans of Mega Games, so we thought, let's check it out. Yeah. And it was unfortunately, and we don't say this without, you know, we don't say this with any glee, or malice, it was a disappointment in almost every regard. I think the, yeah, the easy way to sum it up is it definitely was not a mega game. No. Because the main thing about mega games and the reason they're so lovely and the reason that we adore them and think they're really important is they lift up a game from the table. Mm. Rather than spending the whole thing looking down at things, you look up at all the different players. It's the whole reason there's a high player count. Yeah. So Because the humans become the components in that circumstance and then you're talking to lots of different people. You have uh, different relationships, you're running around. It's like the West Wing because everyone's constantly walking while talking talking to each yep. other. The, everything about the design of Vampire the Masquerade Blood for you shunted your attention down back to the table. Yeah. So it was an, a game with tons of players that required moderation that was, if I had to describe it simply, imagine something like a bad version of Twilight Imperium that was broken into chunks and then different players were in charge mm-hmm. of those chunks. Mm-hmm. But it was not even a good board game to begin with and certainly it did not resemble a mega game and it is almost certainly a misunderstanding of what the genre is about. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was a game where like there was a winner at the end, the people who got the most which is already won, which like is mega already games like, don't mm. have winners. No, it's about having a story. There was very little characterization. Um, it was when we turned up there. Uh, what was your character's name? Uh, I was uh, Orange Vampire B. I was Yellow Vampire C. Sure, yeah. Uh, I mean, the thing was, like it was disappointing to discover first off that half the players would be humans because like who wants to be a <laughs> yeah, human like, welcome to the vampire larp and then we got our teams given now it's like this half of the room is vampires the rest of you are human you're like that's not fun and then also they're like we haven't actually finished the stuff it's a bit more complicated the stuff to do with being in different vampire clans so you're just vampires or humans and it's like mm, where's the flavor i was panicking so much about looking for a theme that i went over to the world map because all the other all our units on the in new york because the whole game takes place in new york over one night which is a lovely idea yeah like oh there's this one long night one night broken out. Fine. What, who knows what will happen when day breaks but because there was no theme around our faction whatsoever I was looking at where all the factions started it's like okay hey you know what wherever my vampire clan starts that's gonna give me the theme I need you know where we started what? the cemetery yeah <laughs> yeah they were all like the spooky house or the cemetery or like the spooky spooky laboratory laboratory and it was like, okay, okay fine but the, the thing was it was it just didn't hang together. We had this thing of we had to pass edicts that would affect things, but we had like five minutes and we, we had we went over to try and talk to our team about what might advantage them this turn, but they'd already put down their orders and and not even didn't feel like Vampire the Masquerade, didn't feel like we were vampires. I mean, the most telling thing was when we were drinking blood from humans, if there was a human faction in the same space on the strange area control board, then you just got two assets, which was basically money. And it's like, it could have been gangsters, it could have been anything. We weren't yeah. even going to talk about it because we don't usually talk about bad games on the podcast, but we kind of got the fear a little bit because we realized how many people don't live in cities where mega games are being run. And we thought, oh my goodness, are people going to buy this because they yeah. can't play a mega game normally? Is the mega game community going to have its reputation tarnished because the first commercial one becomes something that people buy not knowing it's not a mega game? Yeah. You know, and so we felt it was not necessarily great for a live show, but important to put into our podcast more as a public service announcement. Yeah, and we had a, a guy opposite us on the table who was clearly having a really bad time, and I was talking to him later on, and he was like, I thought this was going to be kind of a role-playing thing. And I, lo- I love vampire, and it's like, yeah, usually they are. And at one point, somebody came over to him and said, oh, is this your first mega game? And he's like, yeah. And then after the guy had left, because I think he was filming it and kind of involved with him, I didn't want to, I didn't want to make a scene. I kind of went over and said, look, you know, you should try another mega game. And I'd explain to him what they were usually like. And he was like, oh, thank you so much. Because like, after this, I wouldn't have tried it. And after that, it was like, no, we've got to mention this. Because it's like, it feels to me that the people who've made the game maybe haven't experienced enough or understood enough the spirit of mega games. Or perhaps they're compromising too much to pack this into a box. I don't know. But all that really matters is to come out and be like, hey, this is a mega game you can buy. And then to do it such a disservice, I just feel like is at best irresponsible and at worst cynical. Yeah. Okay. So, and that's all we got to say on it. Three big things about this episode. 
One is, I think the brilliant thing that we're able to share is the behind the scenes look of what it feels like as a designer when your role models or people you respect or just reviewers in general shit on your game. So that's one thing. The other thing is what is the place of reviewers looking at a game before it's done? And I think the last is the response to it. Like, what what is the future look like from here? So again, we have the designer's feelings. Two, we have, should this even have happened in the first place? And three, what does the future look like? They normally don't even talk about games that aren't even released yet. But they said, this is a game we kind of want to warn people away unless it goes under serious renovations. Meaning the only reason they've, they're talking about this on the podcast is that they want to make sure no one gets this game because they're concerned it will ruin mega games. I want to start by saying I have the utmost respect for Shop and Sit Down. I have loved their content and followed them way back from when they started on Penny Arcade. I take what they say very seriously, and they are right. This is not a mega game in a box. To that point, Chris says this is not a mega game in a box. It's how I was pitching it when I was trying to grab publishers, and that sell sheet is out on the web, so I think that's the sell sheet that they saw for the original Night Falls that made them think this was a mega game in a box, but Chris wisely said, this is a mega board game. It takes board game elements and mega game elements and puts them together. It's something wholly different. So I agree with them. If someone's expecting a mega game in a box, that is not what this is. This is something totally new. This is a mega board game. You take a mega game, you take a board game, you breed them together, and now you have a mega board game. Yes. I feel like that colored a lot of their experience because they thought they were getting mega game in a box and they were getting something very different. The way that it dominoed into just everything else, just when he says, imagine a bad version of Twilight Imperium, I mean... <laughs> Broken down into chunks, different players in charge of those chunks. To say that it's a bad board game, just to start with, it... It makes it so hard to react to that because it's so broad and it's so it's so negative that it's hard to find where your feet touch the ground to start moving again because it could be anything that they dislike. They just dislike everything. And <laughs> Right. I mean, Matt Lee said, we don't say this with any glee or malice. It was a disappointment in almost every regard. Here's the big question. What if they had been told, listen, this isn't a mega game. This is a mega board game. Do you think we'd be hearing a different podcast then if they had that note? I believe Chris said that before the game began. I feel like he told me that he gave that disclaimer. And so I don't know if things would be different. I don't know if we... It, it The full title is Vampire the Masquerade Blood Feud, the mega board game. I don't know how, I don't know how we could be more obvious about that, but, you know, it is what it is. They were expecting an experience and they weren't given that experience. And the gulf between expectations and realities just was, was very large. I think that's an important thing to focus on too here is because both of them said, we have a love for mega games and... Matt Lee said, me and Quinn's, both when we were teenagers, had a quite a lot of fun playing Vampire the Masquerade, a role-playing game. So that's a double whammy, because now their expectations are, oh my goodness, this is one of our favorite things, mega games. And this is another one of our favorite things from our teenage years, Vampire the Masquerade. Do you think their opinion would be different if it was really emphasized? Just so you know, this is actually Nightfall's the game that is going to be transformed into Vampire the Masquerade. Think that would change it at all? I I don't know. I don't know. Chris is very gung-ho about getting them to play it again in its finished form. This has just been so painful for me. I just, I don't know if I want to go through that again. But you're, you're right. Like, 
it's not a mega game. What they were playing was just the prototype that we used to pitch to White Wolf, so it doesn't have any of the updates. As I said earlier, we we were running it as vanilla as possible because I didn't want things to get wonky or weird. So they didn't have specific factions. There are rules so that all people can play as vampires in there. You know, it hasn't been playtested as much as having human players. And plus, the, the, the new edition of Vampire the Masquerade is set during the Second Inquisition. So the folks over at White Wolf were excited to have players able to flesh out and role-play situations in the Second Inquisition as that is a major plot beat of the new edition. So I think they were expecting something, and I didn't give them that something. And if I could go back and do it again, I... I would, and... What would you do differently if you could go back and do it again? I would I would have run it differently. I would have had it with specific vampire factions, and I would have run all vampires. That is in there. Those things are, those things are there, but... But just not yet. So you would say, let's not, not, not show yet. them? They're, they're written, they're designed, they've been playtested a small amount, but I, I wanted to make sure that I put them through the, the full paces before a reviewer saw it. Like, this was their reviewers. I thought they would talk about it, so I wanted them to talk about the parts of the game that I was most confident in, and those are not the parts of the game that they wanted to see. I am personal friends with Quentin Smith and Matt Lees. They're my friends, and you're my friend, too. As reviewers that are considered arguably the most popular reviewers in the world for board games, do you think they should have stuck to their guns and not have mentioned anything about it because it wasn't finished should they only be talking about finished games i can't speak to what they wish to do editorially and that's I what know, i thought you'd say but go on <laughs> i i know people demo vertical slices of, of video games and the reason we were so excited to run it is because we were hoping they would like it and then talk about it so I can't say, you can play this unfinished game and talk about it if you like it, but if you hate it, don't say anything. Like, that's not for me or Chris to to put on them. And, you know, they asked to play the game, and we were excited to have them in. So that is, that is on us. They are completely within their right to have the conversation that, that they had. And I'm, right. I'm glad they weren't malicious about it. But it's still it's still, because of who they are, and how much I idolize them in a lot of respects. Like it, I've had bad feedback before on Blood Feud and and Nightfalls, and I'm usually very good because you know during my day job I'm an architect and I get lots of critiquing and feedback and like that is a lot of part of my job. I'm I'm very used to dealing with that, but like this just hit me on a whole different level. You answered that question wonderfully. I don't think I could have done such a good job answering that question, but I'm going to, if I may be so bold. Because let me first lay this disclaimer out. Again, I'm friends with Matt Lee's Quentin Smith. I'm even a fan. I enjoy their work. I enjoy their work because I think they do a good job of breaking a game down into its basic components and experiences. That is what makes a game. If you water it down into its basic parts, it's what experience brings us what joy. And they magnify that wonderfully. So that's what's really pro about them. But the big reason I believe so many people love watching their videos is because they're hilarious and entertaining. They have creative individuality. When Matt Lees is on video, he's Matt Lees. When Quentin Smith is on video, he's Quentin Smith. And when you meet them in person, it totally makes sense. Yeah, I can see you as the person in front of me and the person behind the camera. There's not a huge leap of character here. But here's the booby trap with having such a great show with great individual creativity. They're always gonna be entering this lose-lose situation and in so some weird way, yes, my heart goes out to you, Ben, and it does. My heart also goes out to shut up and sit down a little bit here because the conundrum they're now in is they've become one of the world's most popular board game reviewers. And when you become that popular, you have a lot of power. And the more power you have, the more responsibility you're going to have in using that power. 
But the more responsible you are using that power coming up with rules saying, we won't review a game unless it's fully published and available for purchase. We won't review Kickstarter games. We won't review prototypes. Once you become very rigid, you risk getting criticized for losing your creative individuality. Oh, you're just robots now that have to abide by these rules. I want to listen to someone who's edgy and new and willing to take risks and say the things no one's willing to say. And that's a loss for them. They still want to be their genuine true selves and express their opinions as they feel them in reality without having to filter them. But where's the line? Do they retain their individuality? and the ability to express themselves any way they want to express themselves, edgy as it may be? Or do they remain incredibly cautious to not abuse the power that they now wield? And I believe they're doing their best to find the middle ground. Because the other side of the argument is this, now with your situation of Vampire the Masquerade Blood Feud, there's a lot of onus on publishers now, because now as a publisher, I want to make sure, oh my God, I don't want any reviewer to see any game that we publish until it is at its perfect form because they may go on their forum and warn people never to give this game even a chance because they don't want it to ruin the name of the tabletop industry or mega games or whatever genre you're trying to represent. So I agree with you, Ben. I don't know what the correct answer is. I don't think they know what the correct answer is, but we're trying to find it. I will be so bold to say this, and I understand I'm not in this position. I am not shut up and sit down. I will say, I think publishers should beware that they're running a risk if they show an unfinished game to reviewers. And I'll also say reviewers, hey, do your best to resist the temptation to talk about a game that is yet to be published. If you're really worried make sure you review the finished version as soon as you possibly can so you can get the word out before it does the damage you fear it will do. But let me move into the third phase that I talked about because we talked about the feelings. We talked about should they do this? But the third part is the future because here's the goal behind this. The game hasn't been released and yes, really harsh feedback. But as you said, they're gonna to get to play this again. And I just hope that they give that game the chance to see the difference between that they originally played and what it finally ends up being. How much of this is salvageable? How much of this can actually change or already is in plans for being changed that you think would change their opinion of it? That's the painful thing is that when I was listening to it, I was like, oh, like I'm aware of that and like we, of course the theme is weak because we don't have approved art assets from White Wolf that we could use or approved flavor text. We just got the approvals for the specific clans. Yeah, if people don't want, if people show up and want to play a bunch of vampires, that that is in there. Like they were talking about the moderator, you know, like there are scenarios to add meta narrative to make more of a story into the game and give more things like everything they name are things that have been worked on and are done or need to be more playtesting. God, that has to be frustrating to listen to. <laughs> you just want to interrupt the podcast as if it was a person. But uh, no, wait, the locations will have names. Oh, but wait, there is role-playing elements, just not yet. Oh, wait, it's not going to be Yellow Vampire C. It's going to be Dorian, and he's going to be an amazing character. You know, so it's has to be so hard for you to sit in your seat listening to that, knowing almost everything you're saying is going to be different in the final version. My fear is that it won't be enough at this point because they hate the core of it. They hated the core of the experience. And I don't know if that's because Chris runs things differently than I run things. And, you know, maybe some rules got missed or, I mean, he, he's a very gung-ho teacher. He likes to teach each person just their station and not the overall game so people can see how things teeth together because he wants to get people up and playing and excited. And if they didn't like being in the council, like in the game, you can talk to your team and then send somebody else to the council and you can go a different station. And if you know the rules for the other station, like I was trying to solve an issue with a lot of mega games where if you end up in a 
role that you don't like, you're stuck doing it for six to 12 hours. It's basically like working a day job. I've never wanted anyone to be stuck doing something that they don't enjoy that they feel obligated to continue playing just for for the experience. You can switch stations, and if you want to drop out, like a team can go on with three or two players. Like you can excise yourself from the situation if if you're not enjoying yourself to such a high level. It just or if your mom calls because grandma just exploded. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. So what I would say is there there is so much that we are trying to put into this game to address their criticisms. It just makes me worried that the water has been so muddied that it's beyond the pale at this point, and that if they see these things that I've done, it won't either be deep enough or realized to the level that they want it realized. It just it makes me it makes me sick with worry where where things are going. Let me allay your worries. First off, I really thank you for taking the time coming on here because I know there's fear and trepidation. I know that there's a worry like, well, I don't just want to sound like a weenie (laughs) whining about a bad review and whatnot. I want to give you a lot of appreciation for having the guts to come on and talk with me on the show about this. I also want to say I'm not shut up and sit down. But I think there is a lot more credit there because here's the really good news. And I really want you to take this to heart. The quote they started that entire segment with was, it's a game we kind of want to warn people away a little bit unless it undergoes serious renovations. Unless it undergoes serious renovations. Point is, those renovations, many of them, have already been addressed and other ones are still in the works. And I think that they would give it a second go and be as objective as possible, especially knowing that they went out of their lane a little bit and reviewed a game that has yet to be published. You have so much to gain here. There's only uphill. The expectations are so low right now, as horrible as that sounds. I think when it is done and they have those art assets and those role-playing elements are in there and the world is really integrated into Vampire the Masquerade from White Wolf, people are likely to say, this is definitely way better than what I was expecting after hearing that Shut Up and Sit Down podcast episode. But anyway, I'm not sure if that makes you feel any better, but (laughs) I do want you to know, thank you so much for sharing the experience This story is still going. This is not the end of the story. There's still a huge future for Vampire the Masquerade Blood Feud. And I hope you stay true. And hopefully this doesn't demotivate you for future game design. So with that being said, how are you doing motivation-wise when it comes to game design? I mean, it's been a blow. I mean, honestly. it. Are you thinking of quitting? No... I've been doing as much as I can to get myself out and doing things I enjoy to try and take my mind off this. It just, for them to hate this so much, like, it makes me think, like, maybe I don't want my name on the box. It's, wow. It's legitimately, it feels embarrassing to walk around knowing that there's going to be a game, shut up and sit down, basically savaged with your name on it. And that is going to be part of your reputation going forwards. I don't know, that really takes a lot of the wind out of my sails, but I'm still working on Blood Feud and still tinkering around with little side projects here and there. You know, (sighs) Blood Feud and Night Falls has brought me so much joy, and I've had such a nice... I've had a wonderful experience running this at so many conventions and playtest events and local game stores and board game cafes. And I will say that the majority of the people who play it say, like, I've never played anything like this. It was so exciting. I I really enjoyed myself. And yes, there are people who don't like it. And I'm always trying to gain their feedback and their insight into the game to make this the best experience it can be. So no, I, I wouldn't take this back. And what is done is done. And I just need to move forward make this the best game that we can make so that when people do get it in their hands, the excitement that they feel is met by the product that they're holding. 
And that is really what I'm hoping to do. And I think that will happen. Ben, is there anything else you want our knaves, knights, and listeners alike to know before we move on? Yeah, at the end of their segment, they say that they would hate for someone to open up Blood Feud expecting a mega game and have this subpar experience and that it would tarnish the name of of mega games. And I just want to be on the record that I would never do that. This is not some cash grab. I truly love mega games and that this was me doing my best to spread them give an entry point to make people excited for full mega games so that there's more that are going to be all around the country and that this will become a growing and vibrant community shout out to the mega game coalition we've partnered with to be running blood feud along with their mega games at gen con there's plenty of blood feud spots available there if you want to sign up and play I am a part of this community, and I would never do anything to hurt the community, and I really want people to understand that, yes, this is not truly a mega game in a box. It is a mega board game, but hopefully this will be the lightning that incites more mega games to make it to the shores of the United States. And I think anyone listening to this appreciates that and understands that. You're a very sincere person. Thank you. Also, selfishly, it's a really interesting story for me to experience and witness because I've been there before, too. As a game designer, it sucks. Where can people follow you if they want to go on social media? So if you want to yell at me and stand up for shut up and sit down and all the terrible things that I've said about them, you can hit me up on Facebook at BK Game Design. That's also my handle on Instagram and Twitter. So <laughs> the hate you get, you're being unfair because you did not. You, do you hate shut up and sit down? No, but I know I know someone's going to take this the wrong way and see this as an attack. I mean, that that is that is my biggest trepidation in this, that I that this will be seen as me doing this with some sort of malice or some sort of call out to, to Matt and Quince, who I love. I think they're great. So all good things come in the end, I'm sure. I'm excited to see what the future holds. If you want to follow this podcast, do you know what our Twitter handle is? Sir Weenie? Play TKG. At Play TKG on all of your social media needs. And then if you want to write an email, you send it to podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com Spelled with a K. <laughs> and we want you to send us all of your comments, questions, concerns. If you have questions for Ben and you want to, and you don't want to send them to his Twitter, you can send them to us, whatever. We'll do it. <laughs> don't forget to pound the subscribe button. Click on that bell as if this was a YouTube show. Share the shit out of this episode and five stars, five stars, five stars. Thank you so much for listening. And I think with that being said, this episode is finished. Oh, do I have to hit stop on my thing?